0: reading in Romans nine thirty. Uh, also this is our last night in Romans we have made it we're going to make it through 10 chapters this year of Romans which is quite a haul for one year um, and so after this week next week this is a spoiler I guess next week we're going to have a student-led um, youth night so we're excited for that um, to happen next week and then the week after that for six weeks to the rest of the semester. Um, We're going to talk about what I'm titling Theology of Suffering. Um, And just talking about what does it mean to suffer? Why why does suffering happen? What do we do with that? Uh, And I know you may be thinking like that's like older people stuff, but the truth is all of you know suffering to some degree. And you will to some degree in the future if you don't know it now. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, as a last series for the semester. But tonight we got to finish in Romans through chapter 10. Um, <clears throat> but there's a story I want to tell you, like I said before that. Um, have you all heard of Henry Ford before? heard of Henry Ford? Yes. Ford Muggers? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's said that when Henry Ford was a boy, he had a teacher at school who asked one of the boys in class a question, and that boy stood up and answered, The teacher became angry and told the boy he was wrong and commanded him to sit down. The boy was obviously confused because he thought he answered correctly, but he sat down abruptly. Several boys were asked the same question. They gave the same answer and promptly rebuked by their teacher. Finally, uh, Ford was asked to stand and answer the question. He gave the same answer and was commanded to sit down, but Ford held his ground and insisted that the answer was correct. For a few moments, the teacher stormed at him, but seeing that Ford wasn't going to give up, he smiled and said, well, boys, you are all correct, but Ford was the only one sure enough to stand for it. Many people have lost their faith in Christ because they simply lack the courage to stand up for what they believed. They had grown up so used to apologizing for their faith that once someone mounted a serious challenge to that faith, they just gave up and sat down. How sure are you of the answer that you have for the faith that you have? What we're going to talk about is that faith And how we come to that faith and how we share that faith. And I start with this story because I want every single person in this room to have the confidence that when someone tells you, you need to sit down, you're wrong. You can look at them and go, "Nope." I am confident above confident above confident that I have the truth. Um, So... As we look at uh, Romans 9.30 is where we're going to start, the main point, like I said, that we're going to see tonight is we are responsible to respond to the knowledge of Christ and then to tell others so they may respond to the same knowledge of Christ. So the first point, uh, and we're going to see this in 30 through uh, verse 10.4, is zeal and knowledge of God will not save you. Zeal and knowledge of God will not save. Does anyone know what zeal means? Any dictionaries in the room? I'll help here. Zeal. No one. Religious passion. Passionate. Yeah. Okay. Passionate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Yeah. So you could say very zealous, right? So passionate. Um, fanatic, maybe even um, if they're super zealous. Uh, but yes, yeah, super passionate fanatic. Okay. And I say zeal and knowledge here because what we're going to look at is the Jews first. That if anyone was zealous for God, it was the Jews. They were fanatic about following the law according to what they knew. Okay, so remember that last week in the whole chapter of 9 of Romans, Paul was proving that God's promises to the Jews have not failed and that God is sovereign in his choice of who he calls to himself in faith. So now Paul is going to ask another question about the situation regarding righteousness being gained by the Gentiles. Okay, so let's start in verse 30. He says, what shall we say then? that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it, <laughs> that is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness didn't succeed in reaching that goal. Okay, I want you to pause here and see the dichotomy the difference. Gentiles have received righteousness and Jews have not. This is offensive, if anything, to the Jewish people, right? Like We have the law. We have followed the law. How are you going to come to me and tell me that the Gentile who knows nothing about the law of God but has placed faith in Christ has gained righteousness when they have followed the law their whole life like we have? How are you going to tell us that? Gentiles were not given the law, and the Jews were, and they kept it. So Paul continues, and he says, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, I didn't even prep this, but the Lord knew what he was doing when he put Melissa on this night to share. She just talked about how we can slowly fade into trusting our righteousness and our works and pursuing that above Christ. It's exactly what the Jews were doing. You see... What is of greatest importance when it comes to righteousness is what? What's of greatest importance when it comes to righteousness? you guess? One word. Faith. Yes. Great. Good answer. Faith, not works. The works of the Jews to try and elevate themselves to God by the law is a total misuse of the purpose of the law. You see, the Jews thought if we could just climb the ladder of the law, every time we follow the law, it would be like going up a rung on the ladder towards God. And our distance from Him would be closing every time we follow the law. That's how they saw the law. The law was never supposed to be used as a ladder to get closer to God and therefore closer to righteousness. We know this is the case. Their righteousness and following the law didn't even bring them anywhere close to the perfection of Jesus, to the perfection of God. You see here, we see human responsibility on the part of the Jews. They had the law, the scripture, the history right in front of them. It was all there for them to take responsibility for their sin and profess faith in Jesus. It was all there in front of them. They had the scriptures, they had the law, they had the history, and they couldn't see it. Professing faith in Jesus for all their shortcomings and how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, they couldn't see it. The law became a stumbling block to them instead of a road sign pointing to Jesus. Now, my question then for you While you may think, okay, I don't see the law that way, and you may not, but for every single person in here, and especially for the people in here who have grown up in church, there is a law to your life that you believe if you follow, you will be better, you will be good, maybe even good enough, and you will chase it to try to get God to accept you. To try to gain identity, to try to get the joy of your Creator, and it won't work. The same thing is true of us. That every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night, every time you open your Bible, it's all supposed to point to Jesus, not to a hey, keep trying to climb the ladder. The Jewish people could not get out of their own way to see Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were so fixated on this. The way we do things. This is how things are ordered. This is the law by which we obey. The law grants us righteousness. They were so stuck in their process. They couldn't see outside of it. This is the process. You ever get stubborn like that with people? I'll give an example. Some of you are like this. When you see someone putting dishes in the dishwasher, and you're like, oh my, what are you doing? Do I have any of those people out there? Yes. Okay. I I can be like this. There's a process to the way we put dishes in the dishwasher. Okay? Now, there may be something else for you. There's a process to the way you fold clothes. And you would never let someone else fold your clothes because it's the process the way that you do it. And we can be really stubborn in that. Jesus comes and says, I am the end of the law. We see this in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And they can't believe it because their zeal for their beliefs, their desire, their passion for their beliefs And laws blinded them. We see that God is placing the responsibility for Israel's lostness on Israel. Five times in this passage, he puts responsibility directly on them. He emphasizes it. This is the hard mystery of the last chapter and of this chapter. How how does God, being sovereign over all, also hold people accountable? And responsible for their own sin, so we have to ask the question: Why is anyone lost or without righteousness to save them? I think a helpful quote here uh, by uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. He says, "In Romans nine, Paul explains why anyone is saved. It is the sovereign election of God." In these verses, thirty through thirty-three. He is showing us why anybody is lost. And the explanation of that is their own responsibility. So this is what the Bible teaches. Election alone accounts for the saved, but non-election does not account for the lost. No one would be saved were it not for God in the sovereign manner that he chooses him. As we have seen abundantly from chapter 9, it is God's action alone that saves man. So why is anybody lost? This is the main question. Is it because they're not elect? No. What accounts for the loss is their rejection of the gospel. We are responsible for our rejection of the gospel, but we are not responsible for our acceptance of it. This is the hard truth of Romans 9 and Romans 10. We are responsible for the rejection of the gospel, but we're not responsible for the acceptance of it because here's the truth. Left to our own devices, none of us in this room would ever accept the gospel. Every single person in here that has put faith in Jesus is because Jesus, through his spirit, has done something in your heart to humble you enough to reach out for a Savior in faith. Left to your own devices, that would never be the case. So why is anyone lost or without righteousness? Because they have rejected Christ. And why is anyone saved by the righteousness of Christ? Because God has called them to himself. This is also why no one in here has anything to boast about. No one in here has anything to pride themselves over. Your goodness, your betterness, your, wow, God must be really lucky to have me on his team this. Is nothing about why God has saved you. He has saved you out of His love for you and nothing else. Do you realize that it's possible for you to sit here tonight as a kid who has come to hundreds of Sunday sermons, sang hundreds of worship songs, been a part of family devotion, sat in many youth nights, and still You do not truly understand the gospel because you have done all of that without faith. And yet someone from outside the church could walk in here one Sunday and understand the gospel in ways that you can't because they have put saving, believing, faith in Jesus. This is what blew the Jews away Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that I can follow the law, do everything that you ask me to do, put all the law together, I'm going to make sure there's no other gods before me, I'm not going to murder, I'm not going to covet, I'm going to do, 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 and I've done it for my whole life, and I still don't get righteousness? Yeah. Okay. And you're telling me that Someone outside that doesn't have the law, that hasn't followed you, and maybe is a criminal that just got out of prison for three, four, five murders, could walk in the church and put faith in Jesus and gain righteousness. Yes. I am telling you that. What? That doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't. The only way it makes sense is again you understanding that the people that God has called to himself are not people that have been good enough to be called. People that have seen Jesus and know their need for a savior. Look at um, chapter 10 verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes how are we ignorant to our own righteousness and try to gain it on our own the Jews did it through the law Maybe we do it through religious things, looking good, being good enough, but in doing so, they did not submit to the righteousness of God and said differently, they did not repent of their sin and place faith in Jesus and his righteousness. Here's a great test for you if this is you. How often are you hiding? How often do you hide in your own sin? You see, our hiding does not come from our faith in Jesus. Our hiding comes from our religious goodness. If you are hiding, it's because you are so nervous that people are going to find out you're not as good as they think you are. What then? And the truth is that Jesus already knows you're not as good as you think you are. He knows every single thought, action that has ever occurred in your life. But the problem is that we don't care about that. We care way more about what everyone else thinks. And so we hide because our righteousness is at stake. Our rightness before people is at stake. That's a false righteousness, guys. That's a righteousness that crumbles really fast. What I'm telling you tonight is the righteousness that you have can't be taken from you because it was never gained by you. Which means that as you share your life with the people around you, you should feel all the freedom in the world to be a mess. Because... Christ is the end of justifying yourself to everyone who believes. Stop trying to justify yourself. Okay, so now we need to ask, what do we believe and how do we believe it? So point two, how do we believe? Uh, Verse five, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the depths? That is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, verse 9, how good does it get Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the grave, you will be saved. It is truly that simple for Paul here. It's not that complicated. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the grave, you will be saved. But here's the truth it's incredibly hard for us. It's incredibly hard for us to do in our pride and desire to be God and captain of your own life. It is. Because saying that Jesus is Lord means that He owns you. You no longer own your life, but He does. Saying that he rose from the dead is putting belief in a man that was put in a grave and walked out alive. Sometimes our pride can really get into the way of these two things. What does confess him as Lord mean? This passage reminds me of the verse in Matthew where Jesus says, From the heart the mouth speaks. You see, if we believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the grave and confess with our mouth, we'll be saved. This confession of his nature, holiness, authority, power, majesty, as well as expressing our, his ownership of our life. So the simple question. Do you believe? Have you I'm not asking that you've been in a service where someone's talked about this. I'm not asking that you've thought about it in your mind. And I'm saying, has your mouth confessed that Jesus is Lord? And have you believed in your heart that he rose from the dead? Are you saved? Have you ever in your life confessed that with your mouth? If your answer is yes, I want you to pause and thank the Lord that he gave you faith to profess. Because without him giving you faith, you never would have. If your answer is no, what a glorious opportunity tonight. You have today to be saved from your sin and brought into relationship with God Almighty. Listen, do not let awkwardness, fear, shame, weirdness, or laziness keep you from Jesus tonight. Don't let it. He is calling you to himself. Confess him tonight. Place faith in Jesus. Because we see this beautiful truth when we do. Look at verse 10. For the heart, with the heart, one believes and is justified. Justified means that I am righteous, declared not guilty, free. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That put to shame here is that on the day when Jesus comes back and we stand in the judgment of, We will not be put to shame. The rest of the earth that did not place faith in Jesus, shame will overwhelm them. For there is no distinction, verse 12, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Again, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name? Really asking yourself this again. I'm not saying have you come to church your whole life? Have you read the Bible? Have you been a part of Bible studies? Have you done some things at school? Like I'm not. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying have you ever, in with your mouth, confessed that Jesus is Lord? And since that day, continued to confess, and in your heart, believing that Christ is the one who rose from the dead. That he was the dead man that went in the grave and the live man that walked out. And he is currently reigning with a resurrected body and he will come back again. You confess and believe that, Jesus. Don't wait if you don't. Do that tonight. So my last point, point three, we have responsibility to tell. Verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him uh, of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, we have, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Simple questions here. Where have you been sent to? For those people in here that have confessed, you believe in your heart and you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, where have you been sent to? Because this passage is telling us the people have to hear to profess. If they don't hear the gospel message, if they don't hear the good news, they can't place faith in it. You guys have maybe heard this before, like, oh, well, I preach the gospel with my actions. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not even saying that you shouldn't do that. But what I'm saying that Paul is also saying is that at some point in time, you've got to open your mouth. At some point in time, the people have to literally hear They can't hear your actions. They have to hear the good news to be able to respond in faith. So where have you been sent to? And what are you heralding, proclaiming in those spaces? Is it Jesus? The one to which you are now belonging to, that you confess with your heart, that you believe? Are you heralding that name? And can people believe and confess because they have heard those that are around you? We have the responsibility and privilege to tell, to be the beautiful feet of those that preach good news. You know how much uh, today we have so much bad news. Well, we have the best news and often hide it and are ashamed of it. Reminder from Romans 1, 16 and 17. This is really the thesis statement of the whole book. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How are they to hear unless someone speaks to them? Faith comes by hearing. That means this share the gospel with your life is not the end. You have to open your mouth. They will only be saved if they hear. So faith comes by hearing. So this is what I'll say. You tonight have the responsibility before God for your decisions. Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead? That responsibility falls on you to reject it or to accept it right here and right now. Will you continue to ignore and reject Christ as he holds his hands out to you? My last warning is tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. I know you're young. I know that it doesn't happen, but tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. You are not invincible. Get your affairs in order today, for all we have right now is today confess today that He is Lord and join in the resounding sound of His people who have been saved by faith into eternity with relationship to their Creator and the new creation. And if you have confessed today, let us not wait in silence before those that need to hear the good news of Jesus. We need to confess with our mouth so that those that we know to hear and be saved.